Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Some breaking news as I came in this morning, as the Toronto Zoo was transporting one of their lions through Mississauga, it escaped. If that was a true story, you would leave this place, you would walk through the streets of this city with great alarm. You'd be alert. Just like the Bible challenges us when the Apostle Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, Your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brothers who are in the world. We want to look this morning at Nehemiah chapter 6, at the schemes of the enemy, the schemes of the devil portrayed for us in this narrative passage of Scripture, this story where Nehemiah, the leader that God has raised up, is doing a good work. He has been called by God. He has been equipped by God. He has been empowered by God to rebuild the walls. This is part three of God's plan to reestablish His people. Under Zerubbabel, they have come back and begun the process Ezra has joined them as the scribe to teach the people and to establish and reestablish them again in the Word of God. And now Nehemiah has come back as a political leader to mobilize and to fortify this city. The walls of the city were their defense. Proverbs uses this as an illustration of self-control. It says a man or a woman who lacks Self-control is like a city whose walls are broken down. No defense, no protection. So let's walk our way through this text as we look at the schemes of the devil. The text that came to my mind as I began to study this passage is from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul is writing a communication to the church in Corinth And he is urging them to forgive the man who was under discipline, who needed to be restored and had repented of his sin. And he challenges the church, Paul as a leader in the New Testament church, challenges the church to restore, to bring him back in, to embrace him with love and forgiveness. In order, he says, that that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. If you're in leadership or if you're in followership, you will soon become aware of the schemes of the enemy. Let me lead us in prayer and ask that the Spirit of God would use this word, these truths which he inspired so long ago to quicken us for today. Spirit of God, 
descend upon my heart, wean it from earth through all its pulses move, stoop to my weakness, mighty as thou art, and make me love thee as I ought to love. And Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together this morning would be acceptable in your sight. You're our rock. You're our strength. You're our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The schemes of the enemy. The word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 is a word which literally means that which is thought out. No one in military conflict, no one who wants to be victorious, enters into such a conflict, regardless of the scale, without careful thought. So the enemy of our souls has given careful thought to his strategy in our lives individually, to his strategy in our families, to his strategy in the work of the gospel around the world. And Paul said, as leaders and as an experienced, seasoned warrior in the battle for truth, we are not, we are not unaware, we are not ignorant of his devices. We're not unaware of his schemes. The devil's thought through his strategy. I want to challenge us and ask myself as I ask you, have we thought through ours? It's explicitly clear in Nehemiah 6 that Nehemiah had thought through his strategy. You cannot begin to prepare for war when you are in war. Preparations for war take significant amount of time. There has to be a readiness. There has to be an equipping. There has to be an empowering, a gathering of resources, a gathering of strength in order that when war may come at an unexpected time, you are ready to take your stand. It's very clear throughout Scripture that God uses people. God uses people, and Satan uses people as well. God works through people, and Satan works through people. Let's take a look in Matthew 16. Again, it's a passage that you probably know. It's just going to use it as an illustration where Jesus is asking his disciples, who do men say that I am? And you remember the words that came out of Peter. He was probably the keenest in the seekers group of that day. And he said, you're the Christ. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus turned to him and said, Peter, you're blessed to understand this truth. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And immediately Jesus began to talk about the cross, and Peter suddenly became an instrument through whom the enemy worked. The same tongue that had spoken truth for God now became an instrument for the enemy. God uses people. Satan uses people. And the enemy of our souls is always looking for some expression, someone to do his work, someone to do his bidding. And in Nehemiah chapter 6, we have a whole group of characters who are under the marching orders of the enemy. 
consciously or even unconsciously, they have said to the enemy of our souls, they've said to him, take my life and let it be consecrated to evil purposes. In contrast to those of us who are children of God who should be praying regularly, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Marvin, Mervyn Brenneman says in his commentary on this passage, in any great work of God, in any great work of God, the leaders are strategic. Please. The leaders are strategic. The enemy, notice in this quote, the enemy, whether human or satanic, will try to cause the leader to fall, lose credibility, or disappear altogether. This principle is not just Old Testament, it's New Testament as well. Jesus quoted Zechariah when he said to his disciples, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So it's no surprise for us as we come to the life of Christ, that's not where we're studying today, but when you read the life of Christ, that, 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 the, that Jesus himself was a target of the enemy. Leaders are targets. Take the leader out. Take the leader out. Cause him or her to fall, lose credibility, or disappear altogether, and the work comes to a screeching halt. Nehemiah occupied a strategic role in the plan of God. He had lived his life not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of his mind. His calling was in the political sphere. His calling was in a leadership role different than Ezra, but strategic in the plan of God, and he stayed focused on what God had called him to be and to do. So let's walk our way through this and look, first of all, at the strategies. I want us to look at three aspects of the strategies of the enemy. The devil, or Satan as he's often referred to, is first of all, he is persuasive. He is persuasive. He is very persuasive. He's like one of those salesmen that comes to your door and will not take no for an answer. He or she, they're coming in. Or they're the telemarketer who calls you and asks you if you have any ducks that need cleaning. I've told those people I don't even hunt, but that's another story for another day. Right? They're persistent, they're insistent, and the enemy of our souls is persistent. And so in chapter 6, verse 2, Sanballat and Geshem, who are his ambassadors, who are his messengers, sent Nehemiah this message. Come! Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Uh, ono was a village a number of kilometers away from Jerusalem, and they were trying to draw Nehemiah off the site, the work site, to a neutral zone. What risk could that take? I mean, it would... Who knows how long? It's just a short meeting. It'll only, I'll only take a few minutes. Have you ever had one of those calls? 
I, how much time will this take? Oh, sir, sir, it'll only take a few moments. And two hours later, you're still on the phone. The enemy was persuasive. It's as if he sent to Nehemiah an, an invitation. You know the kind we get now. It's a little different. We get it electronically. We get it in a variety of ways, but you get this RSVP. You are invited. You're invited to a wedding. You're invited to an anniversary. You're invited to a party. Don't forget your mask. You're invited to a retirement, whatever it is, and you have to make a decision. Please RSVP. Respondez, s'il vous plaît. If you please, let us know. And so these two men send, they have their messengers who are doing their work, they send him this message. I assume they didn't have text messaging in those days. I assume they didn't have smart or dumb phones, whatever we call them, but he, they, they just, it's a simple invitation. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. You are invited to meet with the enemy of your soul. How do you respond? We'll come back to that. The enemy, the devil, is not only persuasive, he is, secondly, persistent. He is persistent. Four times, verse 4, four times they sent me the same message. What's the old adage? Persistence in sales, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Jesus used that illustration in a positive sense when he said, ask, and keep on asking, and you'll receive. Seek, keep on seeking, and you'll find. Knock, keep on knocking. The door will be open to you. That's a, that's a positive example of persistence. But here the enemy is as persistent as this imperative Jesus gave for us in prayer. Four times, four times the same message. And then when he refuses the fourth time, they try a different strategy the fifth time. You see, when there is a lull in the battle, when the enemy when there's a pause in the conflict we're engaged with, don't think the war's over. You and I have been tricked at times. We have been lulled into a sleepiness to think that a pause means a ceasefire. It does not. Be sober. Be vigilant. Be watchful. Your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour he stays at his task we should be persistent in our pursuit of god should we not without faith it is impossible to please god for he who comes to god hebrews 11:6 he must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who show up occasionally when it's convenient. Not quite. Not quite. That's what the text says, is it? He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let's be those kind of persistent pursuers of God. 
we can learn, as it were, from this example. And so the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid. Now we've gone to the top. We've got his right-hand man showing up with the same message. Friends, the devil is not very original. His strategy, if you study through the text of Scripture, beginning in Genesis 3 with Eve, through the pages, through to Revelation, his strategy is much the same. Question God. Doubt his goodness. Be your own God. Make up your own mind about what is right and wrong. He is still trying that strategy and persuading us that we can determine our own destiny. We are called to resist him. And so the fifth time, his noose is in his hand. There is an unsealed letter. What, is, what this means, normally sealed letters means this is a secure document. The owner would, the, the, the author rather, would, would write it, seal it, and then the recipient would unseal it, and in between transit, if that seal was broken, the deliverer was in trouble. You've broken the seal. Here, this is an open letter. Scandalous. Scandalous. And he's trying to undermine the enemy using Sanballat, Gisham, is trying to undermine this leader in his work for God, just as the enemy of our souls will go after the leaders of any work of the gospel. So leaders, you need the whole armor of God to take your stand. And here's the letter. It's reported among the nations. Now, how was this off of CNN? Where did he pick this up? MSNBC? It's a report among the nations. I mean, come on. How well, how widely known was this? Make it look bigger than it is. Make the crisis look larger than it is. It's reported among the nations. And Kisham says it's true. So he's, he's now pulling, he's citing his source. He's, he's saying, this guy, I mean, if he says it's true, must be true. Not necessarily. What if Gisham's a liar? Just because he says it's true doesn't make it true. Let God be true and every man a liar. Scripture says that, doesn't it? Geshem says it's true. That you, Nehemiah, you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. Who, who, who said that? And, and therefore, you're building the wall. No, they're building the wall at the direction and permission of the king under whose authority they're operating. They're under fine authority, thank you very much. They're not rebels. They're responsible citizens. Moreover, don't you like the legal language of, of people when they, they get uppity? <clears throat> Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become the king. What? Says who? You have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. Okay, so let's talk to the prophets. Let's talk to Haggai and Zechariah and see what they think of this godly man. Is that what Haggai and Zechariah are saying? Not at all. They're making this report. There's the king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, come. We can, we can just solve this once for all. Just, just compromise a little. Just bend a little. You see, my failure 
in yielding to temptation is usually not at the grand scale. It's in the small things. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He who is faithful in little things is faithful in much. And the man who had one talent could have received the same reward as the man who had five. It wasn't how many talents he had, it's the fact he took it and buried it in the ground. The devil is persistent. So he spreads falsehood, he spreads rumors. We'll come back to how Nehemiah responded to this. He's also, thirdly, perplexing. He's perplexing, his strategy is is changes now, and here is Nehemiah, he's out doing... I was going to say pastoral visitation, but Pastor Ronald might think I'm thinking, referring to him. He's not doing pastoral visitation, but the, he's invited to make a house call. Well, come on in. This guy is shut in at his home. And, and, and who is he? There's a little question mark in the text as to who he is. Is his father a priest? Because if he is, if this, if this guy is a PK, a preacher's kid, They're the worst kind. I mean, no, they're the, you know, the, I know what that's like. If he's a priest, he knows what the temple's all about. The temple's sacred. The temple's a holy place, and the only people who have access into it for service are priests. And Nehemiah is not a priest. Well, who'll know? I mean, we'll, we'll close the doors. We'll go into the Holy place. That, that's God's there. If Shemaiah's father is the same one mentioned in 1 Chronicles 24, 18, then this guy was a priest who had special access and he knew he was in violation of God's standards. Come. So strategy's a little perplexing in one sense. This is a sacred space. What is the enemy doing engaging this leader in a sacred place. Listen, coming to church doesn't make you immune from the attack of the enemy. There's no protection from temptation just because you're gathering with God's people. Satan went after one of Christ's followers, did he not? When he led him and tempted him to betray him? Or when he tempted another to deny him? We'll look at his response. We'll look at his reply. Sacred, the fact is, sacred means nothing to Satan. Nothing sacred to him. Right? We have New Testament evidence of that. James 2 where James is trying to challenge the connection between faith and works. He says, you believe that there's one God? Good. Good for you. Even the demons believe that, and they tremble. So don't think that your affirmation of faith is sufficient. Even the devil has a statement of faith. And he shudders because he knows exactly who he's dealing with. Luke 4, Matthew 4, the encounter. I mean, how does... How does Satan test 
the reality of Jesus' commitment. If, or better translated, since you are the Son of God, jump off the temple. Show the people you have God's power. He will send his angels. The devil knows the Bible. He will give his angels charge over you lest you dash your foot against a stone. Just impress people, Jesus. And Jesus responded as we are called to respond with those well-proven words. It is written. Don't try to take the enemy on in your own strength. Martin Luther, battling the enemy, the enemy of the faith, in so many ways, wrote, A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe, there he is, still in business, no retirement plans for the enemy. No going out of business sale in hell. It is still active. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide? Yes, there are times I've done that, times you've done that. Our striving will be losing. The battle's done the moment I rely. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Did we in our own strength confide our fighting would be losing? We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Who, who is that? It's not Nehemiah. My hope is built on nothing less than, than Jesus' blood and righteousness. He models, he demonstrated perfect obedience. He resisted the enemy of our souls, and through, though it cost him. Father, if it's if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Perfect surrender. Though he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Would our path be any different? I don't think so. So the enemy's strategy is perplexing. So what does God call us to be? How do we respond? We see exemplified in this tremendous character a strategy a philosophy, a, a, a responsible way to deal with the enemy of our souls. First of all, God calls us to be preoccupied. Notice this. Back in chapter 6 and verse 2, where Sanballat and Geshem send this message, come let us meet together in one of the villages. They were scheming to harm me. So I sent, verse 3, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm too busy. What are you busy doing? God's work. I am carrying on. Next slide, please. I am carrying on a great 
work. I am carrying on. I am preoccupied with serving God. Listen, if you are preoccupied with serving God, you don't have time. You don't have time for anything else. Why is it that God says to us, why is it that God calls us people, you shall love the Lord your God with some of, that's not what it says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your might. There's not much left if you've done that, is there? When I pour all my love and all my soul and all my strength and all my might into loving God, the enemy's trinkets seem like junk. But when I hold selfishly on to my trinkets or the trinkets he offers me, it's like a little child holding on for dear life to some plastic pearls from the dollar store when their mom or dad wants to give them a genuine string. Why would they do that? They're mine, right? Raising a young child, that's one of the first words they get, right? Mommy, daddy, mine. Preoccupied. Are you preoccupied with serving God? When I'm preoccupied with serving God, then temptation doesn't seem as attractive. So what, what great project? I'm, a, I'm in a great project. I'm involved with in my community, my church, my family, my world. I can't go down. I have no time for this. Because I'm not just doing busy work. Whatever you do, in word or deed, it's pretty generic, isn't it? Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. You, you can do whatever profession to the glory of God. If you said to him, Lord, take my life, I'm yours. Send me. Send me as a mechanic to work on cars. So that while I'm working on cars, I'm making disciples of other mechanics. Send me as a disciple maker to the university. They just might need some disciple makers there. Send me as a truth speaker to a, a college where truth is despised. Send me as an ambassador of Christ into a hostile world. That's our call. God calls us to be preoccupied. Secondly, God calls us to be persistent. Four times. Now, come on. Four times. Each time, each time, I gave them the same answer. I will not be moved. Resist the devil. Keep resisting the devil and he will flee from you. Ultimately, not for time. In Luke 4, after the temptation of Jesus, when Jesus is into, into the thick of conflict with the enemy of our souls, when the temptation, when those three come to an end, Luke tells us, Luke gives us a spiritual insight which we should embed in our hearts. It says the devil left him 
for a more opportune time. He backed off his strategy. That wasn't working so well. If you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, you know the strategies he tried. And then the end of it, Luke, guided by the Holy Spirit, says he left him. He backed off his strategy. Angels came and ministered to him, but the devil left him for a more opportune time. He wasn't gone for good, nor will he be gone for good in your life if there's a lull in the battle. Stop resisting the devil. And he won't flee. He won't. In your anger, Paul picks this up in Ephesians 4. In your anger, when you are oh, just in a fit of rage over something, in your anger, don't sin. That's when you're in, you're in danger zone, right? All the lights on your car dashboard are coming on inside. Don't be like my friend who just puts duct tape over them. In your anger, do not sin. And what's the next part? And don't give the devil a foothold. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's, it's in the little area. So we're, we're to be persistent. We're to be consistent in our response. Thirdly, we're to be prayerful. God calls us not only to be preoccupied and persistent, but we are to be prayerful. We are to be prayerful. They were all trying to frighten us. Verse 9. They were trying. They tried and tried and tried and tried. Let's try. That's, what, what else can we do? You see, when in, in war, there is a war room where, they, where the generals... And the strategists are trying to figure out with their maps and with their GPS and with their satellite technology, they're trying to figure out what's the best way to penetrate into the territory. You better know how to respond. You better learn to match up the temptation with the truth. Know your Bible. Learn to know your Bible well to match up the temptation with the truth. That's what Jesus did. Command these stones to be made bread. Oh, there's a verse on that. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. I will give you all this if you'll bow down and worship me. There's the key. I look at my concordance. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. You match the temptation with the truth with the temptation. So God called him to be prayerful. The NIV adds the word, but I prayed. Others don't have that. It's an, it's an addition. It's a, it's a quick prayer to offer to God. Help. Ever prayed that? Strengthen my hands. Lord, I'm losing my grip. Paul, Paul, Paul talks about that. That's a whole other sermon. Can I come back and preach another sermon someday? 1 Timothy 1.20, 18 to 20, where Paul talks about two men who have lost their grip on faith and a good conscience. They make shipwreck of their faith. It's another application and direction from this passage. God calls us to be perfect. They were, but I prayed. And then he, in, he in, inserts right into the text of Scripture, verse 14, he pleads with God, remember, Lord, remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, because of what they've done. Look in mercy. What does he do? Does, he doesn't retaliate. Here's the principle. When you're under the gun, when you're under the attack, 
pray. And take your whole life, take your situation, and spread it all out with God. He knows it anyway, but he wants you to know that he knows. Remember also the prophetess Noadiah. Who was she? It's the only time she appears. What was she up to? Not serving God, obviously. And the rest of the prophets who've been trying to intimidate me. Lord, look in mercy. You know. You know them, and you know me. And Lord, I'm your servant. I'm seeking to serve, and it's, it's getting harder to hold on. In 2020, it's getting harder to hold on to truth. We've got leaders and churches and whole movements that are loosening their grip on the gospel. I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Leaders of SCF, in whatever ministry God has given you, pray that often. Lord, strengthen my hands to do your work. Well, let's summarize. The devil was persuasive and persistent and perplexing. Let's put the list up there together, all at one shot. That's who, that's who he is. He, was, he, he had thought through what he wanted to accomplish. He was after Nehemiah. If he could take him out, the work would come to an end. And they'd lose ground. But Nehemiah was no fool. Nehemiah was a seasoned man of prayer. A man who walked with God. A man who sought to keep in step with the Spirit. A man who said no to evil and yes to good. No to the enemy and yes to God. And God called him and models for us in this text. Nehemiah's preoccupation with doing a good work. I'm too busy. I don't have time for that nonsense. That, that extra? No, the, the, the central work I've been called to leaves me preoccupied. I like that. Now, you can be preoccupied in the wrong sense, right? That's another application. But can you ever be too preoccupied with God? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You're persistent. Yes. Persistence. Staying at it and prayerful. Prayerful. All combined. Friends, the, 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 the truth of the matter is, you may be here this morning, or you may be watching online and you're saying, Pastor Keith, I see in the text that God has called me to be preoccupied with him, but, but I'm not always. And I am called to be persistent, but I am, I'm not always persistent. And I, I'm not always prayerful, oh, friends. Praise God that there is a Redeemer. There is one who has stayed true through all the tests that were given to him, and that one is Jesus. And so you come even when we are faithless. He remains faithful. We were reminded of that earlier. Even when you have not loved God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, your faith, your confidence is in one who has namely in Christ. And you come to God pleading for his mercy, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. So what was the fruit, as we wrap this up, what was the fruit 
of Nehemiah's resistance of the enemy and obedience to God. Look at this. The wall was completed in 52 days. Unbelievable. Years ago, D.L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody, was taking notes in a sermon. And the preacher that day, I'm not even sure what text it was, but the preacher that day said, made this statement, the world has yet to see what God can do through one person who is totally dedicated to him. So Moody got out his pen, writing down, the world has yet to see what God, what did he say, God can do with, with one person who is totally dedicated to him. When he got home in his journal to kind of review his notes of what he learned that day, underneath in his own handwriting, he put these words, by God's grace, I'll be that one. What is God looking for from us today? Is it not a fresh act of surrender? What does God want to do in your life, in your family, in seekers in the next 52 days? We don't know. But let's, by faith, go forward. Let's, in his strength and in his wisdom, seek to complete all that God has entrusted to us, not only in the next 52 days, but if the Lord should tarry in the next 520 days or whatever factor you want to multiply in. And all these nations that supposedly heard this bad report, what does the text say? I love it. Our enemies and all nations saw it and they lost their self-confidence. Did the conflict end? No. The book continues. They just tried again. But as these people under Nehemiah's leadership declared their confidence in God, there was a breakthrough at this point. And the testimony that is summarized here as it should be summarized in all of our work for the Lord is this work. Here's the, here's the seal of approval. This work had been done with the help of God. What's your need? I, you know, needs give an opportunity for God to supply, don't they? You see, if you have all that you need, you won't ask God. Oh, you know, you can do most. You know, I, you know I, I, Lord, I need just a little bit of help. No, no. If you're weak and he's strong, then you're going to ask for help. And he offers it to you through Jesus Christ, who's made it all possible. Let's pray. Spirit of God, embed in our hearts and minds the reality of this text today. Thank you for what you have taught us. Press into our hearts a fresh love and devotion to Jesus Christ. May we be more committed to your plan, your purpose, as we seek to live in obedience, resisting the enemy, and re-yielding our lives to our Savior.
in whose name we pray.